This is the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode number eight of the Anarchaeologist Podcast. Today I have Tara Cobblestone, who is talking to me about archaeology and video games. Yes, I know, we're coming back to archaeology and video games, but there are two parts of my life that I really, really love, I really, really enjoy, and when we bring them together, it just makes me insanely happy. So, Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. I hope you're well today. Oh, very well. Always well. Of course. And uh, you run a blog, which is a personal blog. It is blog.taracobblestone.co.uk. If you want to check it out, it'll be in the show notes. So, obviously, your interests are in archaeology and video games. When did that start? Oh, I've, I've been interested in, in both those things, sort of, like, desperately for a long time. Um, I played video games competitively, uh, TF2 and Counter-Strike, and was studying archaeology at the time. Um, and coming into my master's, I sort of started to think, well, why are these two things not really studied or looked at uh, holistically? So, yeah, that's sort of when that interests started to come together in the last sort of three years and i mean did you obviously for people like myself and yourself you know it it was very it made very much sense why these two things were very connected but i'm sure somebody along the line might have gone well i don't really i don't really follow i don't see how these are connected i don't know how you, you can get something out of it did you ever find that or were people as enthusiastic as you were i'd say like at york i have a fantastic supervisor dr sarah perry and she's been amazingly supportive and really kind of pushed me into it a bit um but i think outside of the discipline people are certainly a bit like no games are for entertainment whereas archaeology is for serious academic study and, and never the two should cross um, but coming coming to York, there's this fantastic culture of being like, no, these things are not um, in isolation. We need to actually look at these relationships and see how they impact on each other. So that's been fantastic. Yeah. So when was the first time you noticed uh, this uh, connection? I mean, uh, was it playing something like, I don't know, Skyrim, playing something? Or, I mean, where, where did you see the archaeology? And where did it kind of go, ah, wait a minute, ah, I, I, I see that now. I think I've always been a little bit aware of, I mean, like every game has a set which is dressed in particular ways and you notice the kind of like um, environment cues and the things that that tells you about that world. Um, but definitely moving into things like the original Assassin's Creed, it became really explicit and Skyrim, as you just mentioned. And um, I think that was a real turning point to me that it's like, no, people want to put history and archaeology into games and do it in a very serious way. But, you know, whether that's done well is another question. <laughs> And uh, I'm I'm assuming that uh, <laughs> done well, is, uh, <laughs> it needs to be explored because obviously, you know, are we, can we be sure right now if we're doing well or not? I mean, do you think, do you think, like, what kind of things are you looking for in an archaeological game or a game that uses archaeology? It's a really loaded question. I know, I know, it, I know it is. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, just, uh, I mean, the thing is, obviously, for me personally, I've mentioned this before, that I feel that if you can take the game skins and you can skin them in a futuristic form yep. and not have any of the mechanics change, then all you have is history as window dressing. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. And so for me... Um, the archaeology, uh, archaeological thing has to come in at a point where if you take 
the idea or the symbology of history away, your game changes innately. Yep. I don't know, what would you say about how um, an archaeological game would, what kind of do you look for? I, I would agree with you totally on that point. I mean, it's one of the things that has really bugged me, I guess, a little bit about the sort of latest iterations of the Tomb Raider series, where it becomes mm. less about her role as an archaeologist and more about, like, you could you could take her into space, you could put her wherever, and the story would still hold. And it's kind of like, you know, yeah. we have this, this sort of, like, um, tradition of, of using artifacts or using archaeology as sort of cheap mechanics to justify experience or to justify mm. going to places or to justify getting money in a world. And I mean, this permeates all the way down through games, even to like really inane games like um, Animal Crossing New Leaf. And the treatment of archaeology uh -huh. is always as um, a monetary value, standalone objects which can be identified mm. easily, which then get sold to progress the game. And I think that's a little bit problematic. Although, in some ways, um, since a lot of our, our video culture and a lot of our, you know, media culture yeah. actually reflects the wider ideas in society, and uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen some recent conversations or repatriation that are on the internet, that makes it seem as if the past is purely for uh, monetary value, which I completely disagree with. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, you know the way currently our capitalist system <laughs> kind of, um, you know, it's, it presents the past. It's always seen in uh, terms of economic value or, you know, in some sort of capital way. So I think, you know, maybe that's just an extension of that. Yeah. I mean... I think that there's there's more of a recursive relationship though there though in a way it's um if we continue to present these things in the media only in this way it's hardly surprising that that becomes the popular trend of how people consume or want to engage with that culture so I think there's there's maybe a little bit of a duty of care for us to you know take interest in how these things are being presented and maybe think about how they could better be used of course of course and it's not about you know having every game that has some sort of historical, tiny little historical bit and saying, <laughs> oh no, no, this is wrong this is wrong, this is wrong. It's about, you know when there's a major component of history or the past in these games that it's treated correctly. Yeah, or, or at least treated in a way which prompts the player to, to investigate it or engage with it in a meaningful way. I think the worst thing that we do is, is trivialising the past or reducing it purely only mm. to economics. There's nothing wrong with that but it's just... When that's the only thing you see, it's it's a bit problematic, yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously you've uh, you did your blog as part of your masters, and you're moving on to a PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about what your PhD research is about? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've just got taken on in the Centre for Digital Heritage at the University of York, and I'm looking at 3D documentation practices, uh, specifically re with regards to video games. Um, and a large sort of focus of that is looking at how we mediate the um, discussion and sort of like knowledge exchange between the disparate sort of parties, between the consumer of the game, the producers of the game, and us as critics or facilitators for the, the history of these games. Because um, whilst there's sort of been quite a lot of research into the presentation of history in games, there hasn't been a whole lot into how or why these things form in the way they do, um, or how we could better manage it going forward. So that's basically what my PhD is looking into. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you, I mean, obviously you've got uh, quite a lot of games uh, that you're kind of looking at. I mean, do some certain games or certain kind of what we call genres of games uh, lend themselves to having more archaeology? Or have you find the, the way the past is represented across all different types of games? I think that archaeology as a whole, or history as a whole, has sort of fallen into two kind of 
tropes, I guess, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. um, that we tend to sort of fit archaeology into like action adventure games, like the Indiana Jones, those kind of sort of style Tomb Raiders of the world. And then we also mm-hmm. take history or more modern history in the terms of war and stick it into FPS or strategy-based genres, because um, I guess that's what we consider, you know, top-down warfare or in the trenches kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that there have been games coming out more recently, um, you know, Never Alone, Gone Home, The Stanley Parable, these games which sort of like subvert these these sort of ideas that we have mm-hmm. about how the past can be represented and starts to do some more interesting things with it. So I, I don't think there's necessarily a genre which fits history or archaeology better. I just think that we've been a little bit, not lazy, but we've, we've been a little bit sort of um, confined in our approach potentially until now. So, I mean, obviously certain games that do subvert um, the, you know, what, what normally games do and subvert the norm, um, I think personally that's the only way you can demonstrate archaeology yeah. because um, when you have a kind of what, what I like to call the theoretical tree, it's like you start off you start off where you know where the site is, you do a site survey, you have one interpretation. You go in, do, dig a little, your interpretation grows and as you dig up more, as you interpret at the trial's edge, um, you kind of grow this tree and the tree will grow in several different ways and ultimately the bark that was at the bottom may completely be completely different from the leaves at the top and um you're always having to remind yourself that you know what you are seeing is just an evolving form of you know what's going on so for me a game that kind of subverts the staticness of a game world that says actually this is just an interpretation and kind of can you know confuse it can i throw you know, new ideas in front of the player, new visuals in front of the player as they go along, I think is one of the ways we can show this change in interpretation. Am I just taking crazy pills? No, I, I think you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's not an explicitly archaeological game, but there was um, a game called Gone Home, which came out. And it was a sort of great experiment into environmental storytelling and kind of pulling these like really intricate strands of people's lives and ideas that surround them um, from within the context of a house, the artifacts and the sort of things which exist within that space. Um, and I mean, it's been critiqued quite heavily as like, is this even a game? But from from my point mm. of view, it was incredible to engage with this world where you basically play an archaeologist, even though you're not at all an archaeologist in this game. But mm. you find these incredible ideas and stories about these people's lives just simply from the remains that are scattered around the place. Um, mm. And you're constantly having to reevaluate what your impressions or thoughts or opinions of this place is. I think that's it's a really powerful thing and something that we could look into um, a bit more in this genre. Yeah. And obviously, you know, when we're talking about these things, it's not explicitly to be archaeological. You know, we can like the way we look at this. Ultimately, we want to enrich and uh, enrich the kind of um, enrich the entire game industry in the way we can represent stuff. Yeah, because archaeologists, at the end of the day, want to tell stories, and games want to tell stories. It's just that with archaeology, you have an idea that you are telling a story out of, well, what is a mess, you know, uh, as they say, you know, the the past is a <laughs> an undignified mess that you're trying to pick through. I mean, if you you know if it's midden piles, you're basically picking through someone's trash to work out how they lived. And I mean, if you kind of looked at that, you know, if I if somebody went through the bins outside my house, I don't know what they could say about <laughs> me. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, there is this kind of there is a kind of an, a strong 
interpretive and theoretical analogy between how we create the worlds in video games and how we create the interpretations now. I mean, is that something that you've seen as well? Or how do you see the relation between theory and video games? I think it's a really interesting question. Um, as part of my master's, I did quite a bit of work going to game studios and looking at their practices of how they um, create both archaeological worlds and how they conduct their design process in general. And it's fascinating to kind of look at how they construct ideas about this world and, and construct these narratives about it and create these kind of great analogies to how we do it in, in the trenches, so to speak. Um, but that's sort of where the analogy almost ends because their story then becomes fixed and guided by these kind of quite... Um, stringent practices about how a video game could or should look and how it's going to be sold and how it's going to be marketed. Um, whereas as archaeologists, we still have this idea that we're trying to add to knowledge and trying to develop these stories um, as new evidence comes to light. Um, and it's sort of a crossover, which I guess all that dialogue has not really happened as to how these mm. two things differ or, or could be um, integrated, so to speak. So, um, w uh, I mean, w which, which game studios do you go to? Like, which, which games did you go and see? I, I saw quite a lot. I'm not really supposed to talk about most oh, of them oh, because sorry, of non-disclosure agreements. So I can talk oh, about yeah, them in, no. like, anonymous terms. But <laughs> I mean, I, I mean <laughs> no. was, there any, was, there anything in, was there anything that you noticed when you were going to these places of nondescript companies? <laughs> and were there any things that you noticed across in general terms uh, about what happened in the gaming industry, you know, when it came to... Uh, look how they viewed archaeology. Yeah. I mean, personally, did they seem like they knew what was going on or were they kind of, um, you know, did they ask you questions? I mean, yeah. what sort of dialogue went on? It's, it's fascinating. It was really fascinating going to these places and being involved in their process. I mean, the first thing that really stands out is they always look for facts. There's this idea that written history is fact history. That's what happened in the past. And this idea that if we, like us as an archaeologist, if we look at an artifact, we can tell you definitively what that is, where it came from, and what it means. And, like, I mean, us as archaeologists realize that, yeah, I mean, like, you, you can kind of play around with that, but no, like, that's not how it works at all. Um, and so... I accompanied a couple of the studios as they went to talk to historians um, at universities and watching the dialogue between them was fascinating because obviously the game studio doesn't speak history and the historian professor yeah. doesn't speak video games at all. And you just have this complete breakdown in dialogue. So you have the game studio asking like, would the sandals have been purple? And the historian being like, why does that even matter? What, what is that question? What context is this in? At what point in time? Mm -hmm who which part of society and it's like yeah no there was just no idea about what the other was was capable of or was trying to get at mm -hmm. and obviously that's not just a thing between archaeologists and video games i mean you know you could say that that same kind of separation divide exists with archaeology in many different subjects yeah i think it's yeah. prominent but especially work with, with film and tv as well we've seen that oh yeah yeah yeah, we've seen terrible things. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but obviously one of the biggest uh, video games to get mentioned and still, for some reason, is still going... I'm sure I'm going to get flack for that, uh, is Tomb Raider. Yep. And yep. Tomb Raider is interesting for a number of reasons. Um, number one being a female protagonist of video games back when the PS1 was released. Yep. 
and that was when the conversations about women in video games wasn't really being talked about. Number two, earlier iterations of Lara Croft's identity looked I mean, like I, 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 maybe I got this wrong, but she didn't look. Uh, she looked non-white as well as a person of color. Yeah, and um, maybe I'm going to get completely <laughs> uh, t- taken apart from that. But like, there were, she was a very, very non-standard character for a video game, and obviously, she's changed over the years. Have been different reinterpretations. But I want to know what was. Did you ever have a connection to Tomb Raider? Well, initially, I started out as a computer science person. So when I played these games, I wasn't really attached to the archaeological side of them, but certainly identified with her as, as a character, as, as a strong protagonist. Um, but I think more recently, I've started to really identify with um, who, who she is and what she does. It's, it's fascinating. She's a great role model in a lot of respects. Not so much in others, but in a lot of respects, <laughs> <is> very good. <laughs> but yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, the the only thing is that nowadays the modern iterations of Tomb Raider have been about well, you know, as you said, she could have been Space Raider. Yeah. You know, um, although isn't Space Raiders isn't that type of crisps? Like you know, those are like sure. twenty twenty pence crisps that you can get, <laughs> and they're like they're like a pickled onion flavor. Oh my god, really me hungry. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I swear they're called Space Raiders. Oh, I'm gonna to have to remember that now. But anyway, um, obviously, you know, um, I, I don't know how much of the older uh, Tomb Raider games you played, but I don't know if you remember if they were particularly "quote unquote" archaeological. <laughs> I think that the in in the older ones, especially, the archaeology would tend to be woven a bit more intricately into the storyline rather than simply being like, "Here's a quest to go find some tombs." sweet you found them in the game i found that very much in the 2013 there was some big problems with it's like you roll in and you find a cache of artifacts that make no sense to the context and it's never explained what you're doing there um and then sort of you know to add on top of it there's the whole willful destruction of of history to gain experience points when she destroys the cans and i from memory that wasn't hugely prolific in the uh in the prequel to that so it was almost taken a step backwards from an archaeological point of view <laughs> horrible no i can't imagine doing that oh no that's bad that's bad oh jeez. no I, I mean obviously it's a, a development that may not be the best but obviously um you've been blogging about more recent games um so you're a big it seems like you're a bit of a fan of shadow of mordor uh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a fan a little bit of a fan yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, big Tolkien so, fan, so... <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, no, of course. Um, what, what, you, uh, you, you lived in New Zealand for a while. I mean, I come on. You had Basically to be a Tolkien fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's part of the citizenship. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, Shadow of Mordor, um, I actually I haven't played it. I don't know what it's about. I have not a clue. Uh, but from reading, uh, obviously, you can check out this um, blog... Uh, article which is archaeology and game middle earth shadow of mortar so can you tell us a little bit about why you were interested in why did shadow of mortar stand out for you rather than a different game well, I, like when i started playing shadow of mortar i wasn't overtly aware of any archaeological aspects to it um, but the more i sort of progressed through i was like huh they've actually done some some interesting and quite novel things with how they've tried to represent the material culture of middle earth um, and that sort of started to get me thinking about 
well, what's different about the way that they've done it here versus other games and what's good and bad or, or how could these things be improved with some very simple sort of um, one or two lines more of text or or one or two changes to the code. And that's sort of where I started um, this process of looking at it more seriously for Shadow of Mordor. And uh, what kind of things were you looking for in the game with regards... I mean, what were kind of some of the things that you started to pick out? Um, I think that the first thing that I noticed was that they don't treat archaeology as a pure economic reward. There's this, like, slightly cultural layer to how they deal with things. Um, The second thing was that artefacts aren't always found pristine. Um, They're not always found as, as a full artifact for you know resale at a higher price Mm. Um, and at the same stage when they're found fragmented it's not always just like it was thrown out from nowhere there's Mm. there's a bit of a backstory as to how it became fragmented which they try to sort of engage with Um, and then over and above that there's this idea that there's these things called ethildon which sort of act as enchainment symbols across the uh, across the landscapes Um, and that to me was fascinating because i hadn't really come across that apart from in the the legend of zelda series so Mm like oh they're doing some new things with archaeology and that's really exciting to me obviously i mean um obviously in other games you have maybe you know there's a certain number of artifacts to get you know there's an idea that you have to out of a hundred you know you have to collect a number i mean what about shadow of mortar in that respect i mean was there these artifacts were they part of a collection by the game or was it just to collect if you were uh when you could or was there a kind of completion to it as well? Yeah, they're very, they very much still fall into that completionist objective-based gaming kind of thing where it's like, you don't ever have to touch them, but if you want to complete the game 100%, you have to find them all. Um, which I think, again, like, you know, it's, it's a bit problematic that you have this weird segregation of the story layer and then you have the kind of artifacts existing mm-hmm. separate to that, but still somehow integrated. But the way that they integrated them was was interesting. Mm. So if you do pursue them, do you do pursue the artifact and the oh, okay. it's, it's okay. interesting. Oh, that, that, that's it's good. Fun. I mean, obviously, you don't want to give too much away for people who haven't already played it. No. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's really good that we have a game that actually is maybe, you know, giving a little bit more thought to it. So obviously, um, obviously archaeology is not just uh, in games that are, well, I mean... Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Tolkien is uh, fantasy, uh, very much in the realm of fantasy, but yeah. archaeology can extend to other games. I don't know if you're familiar with the Fallout series. And uh, yes. obviously, yeah, very, very my favourite being Fallout 3. Um, current, currently playing Point yeah. Lookout because it's actually one of my favourite DLCs. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why it's one of my favourite DLCs, but it's really, really good fun. Um, but it's got a lot of um, what what the Americans would call historical archaeology. I I find dur- I, during a yeah, conversation yeah. that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> unfortunately, American archaeology only have a, t- a few hundred years, so anything before that's prehistory. Oh, Americans still weird, still weird to me. But sorry, <laughs> can identify being a New Zealander. Oh, we yeah, have the same situation. Oh, <laughs> Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. But obviously, uh, particularly in Fallout, is there's a lot of material um, that you can find and you can see around the world that gives you an idea about what the two- world of 2077 was like, you know, before the bombs dropped, without giving you explicit 
meaning so like obviously the posters yep. the propaganda the uh the way the robots were programmed and uh, i mean for me piecing all that information together all those little tiny tiny bits that's that and creating what you think of this world that's that's archaeology i mean to me but oh, what do you think what do you think about that I, I I totally agree. I think that's one of the real draw cards to me of Fallout is this piecing together of this incredible world um, through what is essentially very mundane material culture. Um, and, you know, I mentioned Gone Home before, and that does a very similar thing, but in a different sort of a setting. Um, I think it's definitely something, again, Skyrim kind of does it as well, that certain NPCs have um, have rooms and setups and houses which tell the stories of them. So when you speak to them, you get one story. When you investigate their house, you get an entirely different story about who they are. Um, but I think it relies on people being tuned in to that or being interested in it. It's quite hard to get um, people who aren't interested in that sort yeah. of historical setting or investigating that to, to realize that these things even exist in that world. And of course, if you tried to direct that through gameplay, you'd just be creating yep. the same issues as before. So I mean... Exactly. Well, I mean, then, of course, the game developer's going to go, well, what do you want me to do? Well, what would <laughs> yep. I do? I can't, I can't, I do? If I don't do it, you're going to complain. If I go and do it, you're going to complain. Well, 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 what do I do as a game developer? How do I make things archaeological? Sorry, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, well, well, well how, how, how would game developers actually improve the situation if it's the problem we've just identified is there's something with the gamer themselves? and their desire to explore again like it's it's i don't know if there's an easy answer to this because it's quite a a loaded question give me not the really answer a... just <laughs> one sentence one that's all i want to hear <laughs> just give me the answer so i can then go and do something with it i don't want a discussion <laughs> what do you think this is this is a podcast god damn it <laughs> no go on go ahead I'm go sorry. ahead <laughs> i think that i know like from the research that i've done in the games that i've played it, it really relies a lot on a better engagement between uh, between the different disciplines, between talking to players and talking to people from history and archaeology mm-hmm. and people from um, the games world as well, and coming to sort of uh, more holistic or, or different ideas about how we can play with this. Because as I say, there's, there's no one size fits all, and it's only really through playing around with a lot of these concepts that we'll get anywhere. Um, but at the moment, we sort of run into a lot of glass walls and communication barriers, and they stop a lot of really interesting things being done. Mm-hmm. So I don't, know, I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> Probably raises more than it answers. <laughs> and that's 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 the best thing about it being in academia. Oh yeah, because <laughs> exactly. if you can't ask more questions, <laughs> then you're going to have to give an answer. So um, <laughs> obviously, um, you come from a computer science background, so that yeah. no, means you do a bit of programming, right? Yes, correct. So, um, have you ever made uh, a little small game? I have. I've I've made a couple actually. Um, well, be- before the the whole move to archaeology, there was a few which were irrelevant. But um, no, more I, recently, okay. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty recently. sure they were just as relevant. They were just as awesome. Okay, you know. <laughs> uh, so obviously, uh, have you then brought archaeology and um, gaming together yourself? As in putting you know money where your mouth is. Yeah, I, I for the um, heritage jam held from York. Um, I made a little text based exploration kind of narrative game called Buried. Oh, um, right. You made that. 
Yeah, that was me. That's really good. I love it. I, I really liked it. I I, I, I didn't realize you, you'd made it. Oh, I should really research my vet. guess more often. <laughs> Better. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, sorry, explain for anybody who hasn't played the game what it's like. So Buried is basically like it's a, the old text-based adventure type of game. It's like choose-your-own-adventure story. Um, but it's about an archaeologist who sort of returned home from the field and is sort of grappling with these ideas of what burial can mean in its various different contexts and how it should be interpreted and, and talked about or um, internalised or externalised onto paper. So it's sort of the very real decisions that we go through as archaeologists and trying to put it in a way that anybody who's not an archaeologist can pick up the game and start to get an understanding that we don't just know everything about one artifact from its context. It can mean so many different things. Um, so that was, that was what that was about. And was an you said, uh, said there was two games. <laughs> yes. Uh, recently, I, I went to a um, doctoral conference mm. in Sweden. And for part of that, I made um, three games, actually. Oh. Uh, one in a similar vein to Buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and one which was a more sort of like action side-scrolly shooty game which was about the great emu wars in australia Um, and it was a sort of attempt to deal with uh usually when we have heritage that hurts we kind of avert the problem the great emu wars is kind of the opposite to that it's heritage that hurts for a group of people yeah but the rest of people in, in popular memory and popular culture we think of it as this hysterical you know, show of incompetency. It's really funny. Sorry, like when you say the emu wars, I think I've heard yeah. of it before, but I'm just imagining, you know, a bunch of large flightless birds. Uh, can you yeah. kind of bring me up to speed on what the emu wars were before <laughs> I start in upsetting people by laughing about uh, these birds wearing helmets and like trying to fire weapons? So no, you you have covered off the the popular memory of the event very well just then. Okay, um, so obviously, ah, <laughs> oh, damn it, I can't really be much the, of an anarchaeologist if I just go with what the popular <laughs> thing is. Damn it, you've shown me what a fool I am. Continue. <laughs> but the um the kind of the, the more rea- like realistic situation was that um it was you know post First World War, post Great Depression, um, people were struggling in Western Australia. Uh, no food, no water, um, crops were failing whole bunch of emus come in and start stirring stuff up again um and they're basically like well we can't keep living out here so the government's like oh we'll we'll jump in and we'll send some military out we'll send a uh, artillery division and we'll shoot a bunch of these emus um failed miserably they only ended up shooting 957 odd of some 57,000 emus um and these poor people were basically left to fend for themselves and it was a really tragic um sort of point in australian history where what, what what do you do? There's there's nothing you can do. You can't just hop down to the shop. There was no aid at the time, and these people were were starving in the middle of nowhere. But we choose to remember the event as emus with guns and being quite funny. Um, so the game which I made sort of tried to to bridge these two and try to get people to think about what the reality of the situation was, or um, sort of try to subvert mm-hmm. that these popular ideas that we have and play around with how we could represent history which hurts in video games. And obviously. Um you know yeah history that hurts is uh, very very difficult because a lot of people see it as being trivialized in a video yeah, game exactly. because yeah. ultimately i mean you know ultimately the base of a game is a mechanic you know whether yeah. it's in the first person shooter it's a shooting mechanic etc 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 you know how how can you then uh better involve a much more sensitive video game i mean obviously so yeah. everybody's going to say anyway 
oh well, you know, these are video games. Video games are for uh, games were for children. You know, this is not a proper art form. Blah 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 blah. I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't play them. But my little son plays them and he gets really angry. You know, <laughs> how, how do we how do we communicate that video games can be sensitive? Video games can be, um, you know, a way of expressing. I mean, how how do you see that happening? I think we, we talk a little bit about this idea of like a media bias, that there are things which games are really good at. And as you rightly pointed out, it's like games are good at having mechanics. They're good at, you know, shooting things and making things exciting and being fun. And that's sort of what we traditionally associate with being a game. We sort of put this idea of play into there. But that's quite sort of culturally constructed in a way. Um, so there are other things which games can do. And we need to sort of investigate those on their own merits, I guess. Um, what you mean in making a game boring? Not at all. I mean, I think that there there have been games like um, Zoe Quinn's Depression Quest. Uh, it's a game about um, people who suffer with depression. Mm-hmm. It's tried sort of like to get a window into into the world of dealing with yeah. um, with mental illness. And it's it's this fascinating thing where it sort of splits play and game and gives mm-hmm. you this opportunity with games or, or with game mechanics which are not necessarily fun mm-hmm. but are important and meaningful. And when you and when you finish the game, you feel like, wow, I've I've really experienced something um but it it relies on mechanics which go against everything which we associate with what games are good at so it's it's possible but it relies a lot on um going against the grain so to speak this is this is brilliant to hear i mean this is what this is what i mentioned to uh you know andrew reinhardt I've had him on yeah. the show several times and I've mentioned that you know games the problem with games is a lot of them are fun and yeah. when you're trying to demonstrate an experience in the past which may not have been fun how do you do that but still remain yeah. engaging so you know having different ways is absolutely fantastic I, I I'd love to I'd love to hear about much more interesting and difficult ways uh different ways of making things difficult but fun because i know yeah. like uh what have it well, i've been playing risk of rain recently and okay, yeah. that is a difficult difficult game or maybe i'm just really bad at it and <laughs> actually you know like i'm thinking to myself actually you know it's quite interesting that's that's got a lot of uh, artifacts and stuff in it but it's not not particularly archaeological but it's really good fun um but it, it's it's challenging but i always feel that you know the challenge is the uh, when i lose it's only because it's my fault and yeah. uh, obviously that's one way of uh, you know allowing giving the player a set of tools and allowing them kind of rain run free would be uh, great um, I mean w- what would you like to do would you be I mean would you be looking at one point making some sort of uh, 3d reconstruction of the past that people can explore would you be looking at um, you know making games that are archaeologically accurate or you know, what's your kind of, what would you like to do past your PhD? <laughs> I've toyed around with this idea of, of making reconstructions and kind of um, delving into that. And I think it's almost a bit of a trap for video games in a way. Because uh, when you start to, to get into this thing again of, of what I present to you as fact, and I think Assassin's Creed leans on this a lot as like a marketing strategy, which is like, mm. we created Paris as it was during the French Revolution, it's historically accurate, therefore our game is better. And it's kind of like, well, yes yes and no, in a lot of ways. Um, actually, I'm, I think, actually I, yeah, I, I'd like to challenge that. I don't know, <laughs> right? I don't know, okay, I don't know, have you played Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag? Yeah. You yeah. know the start, do you know the, just after the start sequence, when they, the, the person, uh, you basically, you find 
you find yourself, oh, I'm in the Anmus. And the woman tells you that Abstergo is obviously... Okay, this is spoilers for anybody who hasn't played the first 10 minutes of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. So, so you switch off and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay. So basically she explains Absergo is an entertainment company and what they do is they use uh, the memory link for people to detail the, well, the long-form history and what they do is they give people historical experiences in the short form, you know? Yeah. And they, they, uh, which aren't in, as interactive. So, uh, and it's purely for entertainment and they realise that they've created these snippets of small entertainment for people. So actually... I think it's more other people saying, oh, look, Ubisoft has created the French Revolution as it was. Rather than, I think, unless they're really, really uh, oblivious to understanding their role, I think actually maybe they do understand that they created a form of it which is in shorthand and, you know, is playable only because they've made it like that. I mean, maybe, maybe... I'm yeah. giving them too much credit here. Do you know what I, I mean? Think, yeah, no, to, to add to that a little bit, again, spoilers for anyone who hasn't played, um, but there's a great unlockable sequence of emails in Black Flag, um, which is this great argument between the development uh, leads in the studio, uh, where they're basically discussing where they should take the next um, historical snippet, so to speak. And one of the guys is saying, like, we should go into the really important parts of history so people can experience and see those. And another guy is going, no, that's really boring because there are no zombies or um, witch doctors or, we, you know, we need excitement, we need war, we need these things to fuel it. And it's kind of like a reflection of, I guess, what happens in the studios where it's like we could go for complete accuracy for telling a narrative or we could go for the exciting parts of history and get people to engage or enjoy those that way. Um, it, was, it was an interesting insight, but... I don't know, I'm, I'm still a little bit on the fence because in all the marketing material yeah. from Ubisoft, they do talk about how they put so much like, you know, effort into recreating mm-hmm. Paris in the past or Florence in the past. I mean, w- w- I think it would probably be better if they said re- re- representing Florence in the past or Paris But even in the then, past. It's, I mean, I, I, it's, it's just the buildings. It's, I mean, like the, the, Unity, they've attempted to do some really interesting stuff with the crowds, but yeah. still it's like... Very much like artifact and architectural based yeah. idea about what the past was rather than mm-hmm. engaging with the, the less visible things. Oh, no, of course. And I think for me, the past is definitely something you have to engage with. So just by <laughs> recreating, you know, this, I, I mean, I'm currently playing through Assassin's Creed 2 and 4 at the same time. I don't know why I did yeah. that. But, um, <laughs> and I, you know, to me, it isn't, it, you know, although it's absolutely f- splendorific to uh, see these wonderful ancient cities i actually i I, like i enjoyed playing um you know i i enjoy the architecture i think it's great and everything uh but it is when you interact with these cities i think is the archaeology as it were you know it's when you go around and see people do stuff it's when you go around and see things happening in the city rather than just the city itself which is archaeology and so you know games like i mean not historical or in any way but you know grand theft auto having things like happening things happening on the street as you go by or these little stories that you find when things are when things happen in video games those are kind of archaeology as it were but i mean you know assassin's creed has got the at least has got the separation of saying look this is a recreated history from 
genetic memory, whatever that is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> unobtainium. And, you know, you've still got that, vicar- you're vicariously experiencing through the character who's experiencing through the second character. And I think yeah, exactly. that relational sequence is really what's great about Assassin's Creed, whether, you know, you you know whether there's a lot of other issues with how they talk about it at least they've got that set up really well and i think that allows the person to see basically well actually you know this isn't as it happened but this is kind of in step with um what it should you know like the kind of things that were going on yeah I think one of one of the really interesting things that I came across during my master's research was that the players of these games really enjoyed that, but the thing which they felt was missing was they wanted to know where the interpretation process came from. So they wanted to know why things were presented the way that they were or, or why they made particular design decisions. So they weren't so concerned about like, you know, whether it was accurate or authentic. They just wanted to know why and, and where that comes from. And that's something I think that uh, games haven't really uh, catered to so much already yeah. you know i guess assassin's creed has they, they have like the artifact log but it doesn't tell you how they made that interpretation or where it came from it just says this is what it is i'm going to throw a really crazy thing your way i don't want like this is this is off the bat i haven't i haven't you know said anything about this i just had something great idea i don't know if you've seen uh, recently halo uh the anniversary edition and obviously all the halo games the first two what you can do is you can switch through the new engine or you swap to the old engine. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, yeah. So you've got these two engines running side by side, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't it be cool if a game like Assassin's Creed had this switching, but the switching was between the game world and the sites that were visited? So what you'd have is you'd press the button and obviously it would swap to the trenches. You know, it'd swap to the kind of artifacts that you have or it'll swap to a modern day kind of version so that you can see, you know, what the difference between what you get in the ground and between what is made there. I don't know, does that sound interesting or am I getting really, (laughs) (laughs) am I just spinning my wheels here? You've just spoiled my, my the game which I'm working on at the moment called Perspectives of the Past, which does exactly what you're saying. It has two layers <laughs> in tandem with each other. And it, it's, a, it's a puzzle platformer. And it's basically like you have the world which sits there now, um, the, the ruins, the, the kind of yeah. context that you don't associate with the past. And then behind that, when you switch your view, it goes to the, the context which these things were, were used in um, live. And you have to figure out how to flick between the two of those to create the story and create your path through this world so <laughs> there we go announcement there we go <laughs> I, I just thought that i'm sorry i'm sorry i just thought of it now okay i'm sorry god uh i think i know if i was going to do a masters which direction i'm going to go in um yeah <laughs> <laughs> so obviously uh, obviously there you got another game going um yeah um <laughs> that's completely uh derailed my train here i'm really really sorry about that uh i hope you weren't trying to announce it <laughs> anytime soon <laughs> Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, that, that's really really interesting i mean uh are you going to uh i mean obviously it's going to probably take a wee bit of time to do the project i mean are you hoping to release it by the end of the year or is are we looking for next year to actually kind of see it it's it's kind of one of these like side projects that i've been working on for about three months and i have no idea where I'll, when i'm when i'll finish mm-hmm. it but hopefully 
hopefully I'll get time next year to do a little bit of work on it. Okay. No, of course, of course. And we'll, 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 we'll be waiting. We'll be waiting very patiently because, you know, you heard it first here on the Anarchaeologist podcast. That That's when it, that's what's happening here. Uh, obviously, you know, um, what you study and what you're looking into has, uh, you know, it's, it's very much part of what I've experienced about the kind of like online archaeology media. I mean, do you find, I mean, obviously you're on Twitter and you're on a few other websites. I mean, how do you feel that other people who are archaeologists and use Twitter, how, how have they kind of responded to the work you do? What, what are your conversations with them like? I think overall it's been really, really positive. I've, I've met some amazing people like like um, Andrew that you mentioned before, Sarah, Colleen, um, Sean. Like th- there are some amazing people on Twitter who are really um, engaging, I guess, with, with the work which they're doing and also with the work which I do. It's an amazing community. Yeah. Do you think that uh, a certain type of person uses Twitter and looks at uh, archaeology and video games as being a thing or do you think it's a lot more spread? I think it's slowly gaining acceptance. I mean, like the the latest ESAs were were pretty condemning, or, or pretty I guess not condemning, but pretty um, exciting in this yeah exciting in the sense that video games have overtaken every other form of media as, oh, okay. as, you know, in terms of sales and popularity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of put a stake in the ground, which says these things need to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. um, and we need to actually care about them. And as yeah. academics, rather than just letting it wash by us, we should actually engage with it and i think there's more and more of a community starting to come together and, and understand and pursue that yeah, yeah no brilliant and uh, obviously video games you, you're you know very much you're playing video games what are you playing at the moment then i have a terrible video game addiction um, <laughs> um i play a lot of competitive games but sort of archaeology based games that i'm playing at the moment is uh, never alone it's mm-hmm. incredible um, and also this war of mine two great games that have just come out what about non uh, archaeology games uh, <laughs> uh, non-archaeology games. I, I commit a lot of time to Dota 2 and TF2. Seriously? <laughs> Dota yeah. 2? Oh my god. That's, that's really cool. I mean, I'm just not... I'm, I am I, I tried to play Dota 2. A friend of mine's really, really into it. He's, he's tried to guide me through, but I just... I, I, I'm not very good at the... What are they called? MOBA titles? I think those are... I, I can't remember what they're called. And I just... Yeah. Uh, like League of Legends as well, and... And like I just, it just not, doesn't work with me. I'm uh, I'm very much into kind of like um, RTS and FPS. Those are my those are my mainstays, and I love them dearly. But uh, I mean, oh, that's that's really really yeah. cool. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to add you on Steam sometime. We should do. Uh, we should have actually. Yeah, I've suggested yeah. this actually to one of the other um, uh, guy who runs uh, the Archeo Soup YouTube channel. We should do uh, some online online gaming against each other i mean would you be up for archaeologists versus the archaeologist definitely let's do it sounds like a plan oh good good i'll uh well you know what if i manage to then completely destroy you i'll bury you with a few of your best artifacts and somebody else can <laughs> dig you up in a wee while that is that's how you that's how you trash talk with archaeologists yeah you yeah. just tell them that you're going to give a terrible burial context and <laughs> they, they go crazy oh my god no you can't do that somebody might think i'm an anthropologist <gasps> Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being mean now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very, very much for uh, coming and speaking to me. And uh, I hope this is really good for you because I really enjoyed this. It's been really, absolutely fantastic to speak to someone like you who has really cool interests. 
No, it's, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, if anybody wants to, f- if anybody wants to follow in the work you do, any of the blogs, where can they go? Uh, either to my Twitter, which is at gaming or to my blog, which is blog.taracouplestone.co.uk. I think. That sounds right. Oh dear. Uh, Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll put the links to that in the show notes. Thank you very, very much. And catch the Anarchaeologist podcast again in two weeks. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Anarchaeologist podcast. The Anarchaeologist podcast is going to be migrating to the Archaeology Podcast Network which goes live on the 1st of December. You can find that at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. You'll find all the new shows and some of the backlogs uh, of these shows as well over there. So go and check it out from the 1st of December.